Good morning, everyone. Happy Interdependence Day to everyone. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. It's beautiful here in uh, central Pennsylvania. And I'm happy to have four of my favorite people accompany me here in the Zendo and all of you there, out there. The topic for today's talk is the joy of selfing. And this is a, a title based on a book that was written, I think it was in the 60s, I'm not sure. Uh, it was called The Joy of Sex. And following that book uh, came a slew of the joy of, uh, the joy of cooking was a famous one. Uh, the joy of painting, the joy of tennis, the joy of piano, the joy of books. So you can, you get the idea that um, there is a, uh, a way of experiencing almost anything in life, which is joyful. And the activity of creating a self can also be joyful, but, and we'll get to that later, but most of the time, the act of selfing is not so joyful. It's what often creates a lot of suffering for us and for others. When Buddha was asked whether there was a self or not, uh, when, when he was asked these kinds of metaphysical questions, uh, what happens to us when we uh, die? Uh, are there really gods? Is there a God? He observed what's called noble silence. I'm not sure that he was silent because he didn't know the answer. <laughs> um, but he probably didn't think that it was a useful question. Um, as often he said to his disciples, he said, look at how many leaves there are in the forest. How many? hundreds and thousands of leaves. How many leaves are there in this hand? Very few. His teachings were these very few leaves relative to perhaps what he understood and knew. But these few leaves were the leaves that were appropriate to relieving the suffering of the person who was answering the, who was asking the question, is there a self? Well, why is it important to you to know that? Why, why are you asking that question? And so, so his response was not one of intellectual understanding, 
he wasn't going to analyze whether there was a self or not. His response was much more compassionate than that. It was, how, how can I help you uh, understand why you're asking about the self and how you yourself, you yourself create the suffering that comes from this delusion of self. So I have used, instead of the noun self, I have used the verb, the gerund form of the word. It's selfing. The self isn't to be conceived of as a thing, as a noun, as the name of something, namely me. <laughs> um, it's not my name. It's a, an activity that I engage in. It's a selfing. It's a, an activity of construction that begins probably even before we were born with the fantasies that our parents have about us. But it certainly begins very early in life when we begin to create this thing that we think we are, which is a self. What we, we, you know, in Buddhist practice in Zen, we talk a lot about the self. We're constantly talking about the self. We see the existence of this separate independent, substantial being, permanent being, yeah. as the core issue of our practice, of our suffering. And it's almost like we have to keep talking about it because it doesn't ever stop happening. <laughs> It's like this, um, this plant called the Japanese knotweed. Some of you may be aware of this plant. Actually, it, is a, it can be a very useful plant, can be uh, used medicinally and made into a wonderful tonic and tea. But generally, it's considered an invasive plant. We have some of it here at Oan. It's beautiful, but it's invasive. And the more you cut it, the faster it grows. So the recommendation is not to cut it, not, not to just snip it off at the, at the uh, tips, because that just stimulates it. You have to get it right at the root in order to control it. I'm not sure it can ever really be eliminated. This, the, this, this activity of selfing is like the growing of the Japanese knotweed. <laughs> you can't get rid of it. And you can't control it by just snipping its, its edges. You have to get deep 
You have to get deep into its root system, just as Angel was talking about the root of anger. Our practice is digging, digging, digging into the roots of things. We're not satisfied with just the superficial clippings uh, of, of plants or, that, or mind states or emotional states that create suffering, that, that are invasive in our lives, that take over, that dominate us, that push us around, that keep other plants, other beautiful aspects of ourselves from flowering. So we do have to manage and control this self, which is never going to go away. Uh, and also can be joyful. But uh, again, let's just take a look at the way in which this selfing activity makes us suffer. As I said, when Buddha was asked these questions, these deep questions, he always answered relative to the person who was asking the question. It wasn't one of these like general philosophical discussions, analytical discussions. He wanted to understand why that person, how that person was selfing, how the self of that person became an issue, a question. And so today I, you know, I can't at this point, uh, connect with each of you and have a conversation about yourself and how this self is an issue for you. But I can talk a little bit about myself and see if something that I say might um, stimulate a thought or an experience or an insight on your part. So I have partly made it a practice to notice when I start selfing. And it happens a lot. The most recent example was the uh, rebuilding of our deck here, which we're going to celebrate this evening. There were two people who were building the deck, rebuilding it, my daughter and one of our community members. And they were in charge. They did the design, they, they did the troubleshooting, they managed the whole project beautifully. And what did I do while they were doing this? I cleaned up after them. I dragged boards up the hill and down the hill and up the hill and down the hill. I picked up nails. I was basically a workhorse for two weeks while they were rebuilding the deck. And I realized that I wasn't gonna be able to take credit. 
for their activities. I was behind the scenes. I was that person behind the scenes. I don't like being behind the scenes. <laughs> I, like being, I like being this, center stage. And as soon as I find myself being behind the scenes where nobody notices me and I'm just making other things happen that, that they take credit for, I don't like that. And as I said to the Thursday group, the Thursday book study, I'm telling you now, this is a sign that I'm selfing because I, I'm not content to, to have stayed behind the scenes. I want you to know how much work I did, making it possible for them to be center stage. So now I wanna take center stage. So as soon as you, sometimes I find myself behind the scenes where nobody notices me, but I'm just making other things possible, I try to find a way to get center stage. <laughs> but looking back at actually just doing the work of cleaning up after them and loading boards and bringing things up and down the hill, I realized that that was incredibly pleasurable because I was just doing stuff. I wasn't gonna be judged. <laughs> I wasn't gonna be evaluated. No one's gonna notice how I made a mistake or, I mean, I was invisible. <laughs> I was just basically behind the scene. So nobody, nobody had the opportunity to criticize me, attack me or, even praise me. So it was kind of liberating not being, not being center, center stage. I have related a story um, when I was at practicing at Chikoji um, Zen Center in California, where I teach sometimes and practice. And I, I have a, a fondness for flower arrangement. And I did all the flower arranging <clears throat> during the time I was at Chikoji. And during one of the uh, Dharma talks, a visiting teacher commented on the flower arrangement and how beautiful it was. And she pointed to somebody in the Sangha who she thought did that arrangement. And it wasn't, it wasn't me. <laughs> She pointed to somebody else. And my first impulse was, no, it was me. It wasn't her, it was me. But I really had to control myself. Not taking the credit that was due to me. And I realized, wow, wow. Am I selfing here? And so sometimes when you actually have to refrain from taking credit for something, 
that you deserve credit for, you can feel how difficult that is because you want to be that self was recognized. Right? So often I'm at a dinner with people and I discover that everybody's plate is clean except mine. And when I realize that, I discover that I have been talking way too much. <laughs> that I have been probably dominating the conversation because I'm so intelligent or gregarious, or I know how to bring people together and I know good topics, good questions to ask. So I to dominate, dominate the, the discussion. And so I, when I notice that my plate is full while everybody has finished, probably I've been talking, talking and talking and dominating the conversation. Times when talking with people and it's a particularly a subject that you think you know well. And in my case, sometimes it's Zen. <laughs> and there's a feeling that I have to be right because I know a lot more than anybody else about this topic. And so it's extremely difficult for me, first of all, to listen to other opinions because I already have a sense of my own authority. And then to say, hmm, I was wrong about that. It is hard, it's hard for me to say, I'm wrong. Difficulty admitting mistakes. Having to know, having to have to know more than anybody else about a subject. Even something I call inverse narcissism. Oh, you know, I, um, what do I know? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just a kid from the Bronx. I'm not worth that much. You know, it's, you know, it's, I'm just a small, pitiful creature. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not that important. Uh, don't, don't pay any attention to anything I say. That's, that's the sort of demeaning of oneself, of uh, instead of inflating yourself as a narcissist does, instead we deflate ourselves. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm too shy. I'm, you know, I, I don't know anything. 
you know, have pity on me. That's, that's inverse narcissism. It's still calling attention to yourself. Still building a sense of self. But it's the inverse of inflation. It's deflation. So any action, any process by which you begin to separate from others is the process of selfing. The last thing that this selfing process wants to have is anonymity does not want to just blend in <laughs> to the landscape just to get behind the scenes. Anonymity is anathema to selfing. And anytime one begins to feel separate, either by the more authority, knowing better, uh, feeling like you're different from everybody else, um, that, that you, even if you're, you're not as good as other people, that's still separating, separating. The act of separating is the act of selfing. But can it be joyful? Of course, it's wonderful to create these, this self. Look at this, isn't this fun? <laughs> you know, I'm having so much fun being a Dharma teacher and having this costume and having this seat in front of the altar and having a ritual surrounding me and people come and they bow to me and, you know, treat me as you know, something really special. Um, it's fantastic. I love it. And I can totally enjoy it as you can enjoy being um, a, um, a teacher, uh, an, an astronomer, uh, a, um, a mother, a father, you can, all these post-its that you can develop for yourself, all these cells, these almost infinite number of possibilities that you can construct for yourself. You can enjoy each one of them. As long as you know, it's just a play. It's just a construction and you can throw yourself into it completely. But with this in the, in the deep, deepest recesses of your being, knowing I'm just playing. I'm, this, is, this is a grand drama that I am involved in and I'm playing this role and I love it, but it's not me. <laughs> There's no me. There's no me. There's just these, these 
infinite number of possible selves that I can make for myself. And I can throw myself 100% into, into each one. And because they're not really me, because there is no really me, I have the freedom to, you might say, self-surf or you know, surf the different selves I can be and tune in and adopt one and enjoy it as I would enjoy a, a role in a play, in this grand play of life. So yes, it can be joyful. But the most joyful aspect of selfing is when the self you create settles into the self the universe creates. When the self you create connects and integrates with the self that the universe creates, that you have nothing to do with, which is really none of your business, <laughs> which comes together. So there's no duality at all. What an amazing way to live. So you can, you can be behind the scenes, connected, just doing your part, being a part of it all, not, not center stage. And that itself is the most wonderful, joyful way of being a personal self. So when does this selfing happen? Constantly. When do you know that you have let go of this selfing? When do you know you have finally reached this open integration? between your personal self and what we sometimes call the universal self, the self that the universe creates. When do you know you've reached that? Never. So we just continue to practice. <laughs>